the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Today we'll talk with John Agresto. That's coming up later this hour. He is a professor and has been a university president on several occasions. His latest book is The Death of Learning, How American Education Has Failed Our Students and What to Do About It. He writes primarily about uh, liberal arts education. He'll join us, I should say, uh, later this hour. And then in the uh, 5 o'clock hour, we'll hear from Dr. Gregory Jans, author of Social Media and Depression, and uh, some of the headlines of the day as well. These were some of the headlines today. Trump calls raid prosecutorial misconduct the weaponization of the Justice Department. Carl Levin says uh, raid on Trump's home is worst attack on this republic in modern history. House GOP leader McCarthy to Attorney General Garland, preserve your documents and clear your calendar. That was a threat if the uh, Republicans take the House after the midterm elections. Conservatives denounce FBI raid on Trump's home, Gingrich. If they uh, if they can do this to a former president, what can they do with you? These are some of the headlines around uh, the uh, raid, if you will, of the president's home, one of his homes, Mar-a-Lago. The FBI raid um, was not warranted if only if it's only about the president's record act. A CNN legal analyst, Paul Callum, he called the Justice Department's raid on the former president and his Mar-a-Lago home a daring and dangerous move that was not warranted if it was only about Trump's holding on to classified documents after his time in office. Well, during a CNN at this hour with Katie uh, Boldan, this was on Wednesday, the host uh, spoke to legal analyst Paul Callan who expressed hope that the U.S. Department of Justice and the FBI have something more serious than uh, current reports seem to indicate. Otherwise, their raid on uh, Trump, his massive uh, West Palm Beach residence, went too far. Now, at this point, the White House is not speaking on the subject. Neither is the FBI. Well, there's a game afoot, uh, a game prosecutors play. Let's say, um, I suspect X committed an armed robbery, but I know X is dealing drugs. So I write a search warrant application laying out my overwhelming probable cause that X has been selling small amounts of cocaine from his apartment. I don't say a word in the warrant about the robbery, but I don't uh, I don't have to. If the court grants me the warrant for the comparatively minor crime of cocaine distribution, the agents are then authorized to search the whole apartment. If they find robbery tools, a mask and a gun, the law allows them to seize those items. As long as agents are conducting a legitimate search, they are authorized to seize and any obviously incriminating evidence that they come across. Even though the warrant was ostensibly about drug offenses, the prosecutors can use the evidence seized to charge robbery. And some suspect that that's what happened on Sunday. Andrew McCarthy says, I believe that principle is key to understanding the FBI search of former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida on Monday. The ostensible justification for the search of Trump's compound is his potentially unlawful retention of government records and mishandling of classified information. 
The real reason is the Capitol riot. The Justice Department is not ready to charge Trump for the riot. It lacks proof that he is criminally culpable for the violence. As for the nonviolent potential crimes it's investigating, obstruction of Congress and conspiracy to defraud the government, these are based on disputed theories that Trump and his apologists could persuasively frame as a partisan weaponization of the Justice Department against the likely 2024 GOP nominee. Consequently, the Department of Justice does not want to suggest that Trump is the subject of a criminal investigation related to the Capitol riot, nor does it want to be perceived as having told a court it has probable cause tying Trump to the Capitol riot crimes. Nevertheless, prosecutors investigating didn't uh, did want to search Trump's premises for potential evidence of Capitol riot crimes. The former president's apparent violations of government records and classified information laws gave the DOJ uh, the DOJ the pretext they needed to do just that. You'll hear the bracing word raid attached to the research. Don't be misled. This was not a raid in the sense of a lawless break in. The FBI conducted a court authorized search for the FBI to have a search warrant. A federal prosecutor first had to write a search warrant application sworn to by an FBI agent, which convinced the federal judge that a one or more crimes probably occurred and b it it was probable that the evidence of those crimes would be found in the place the Justice Department was asking to search. Now, thus far, we haven't heard um, any details about the warrant or what was uh, being looked for and so on. What we do know is the federal judge who reportedly signed off on the raid at the former president's Mar-a-Lago residence donated thousands of dollars to former President Barack Obama's presidential campaign and victory fund in 2008. Bruce Reinhardt, a Florida federal magistrate judge, donated a thousand to Obama's 2008 presidential campaign and added a thousand more to his uh, victory fund that same cycle, uh, according to federal filings. Now, he later contributed five hundred dollars to Jeb Bush's failed 2016 presidential campaign federal filings show he uh, did not immediately respond to questions about those donations. All of that said, it raises some questions about what happened what the pretext was and what was found. Now, they're not required to uh, show that information at, uh, at in the short term, but members of Congress may be able to get more details than the general public. Well, as mentioned, the former president called the raid prosecutorial misconduct and the weaponization of the justice system, which has, of course, riled up many of his supporters who would like to see him run for a second term. Meanwhile, the White House uh, Department of Justice and FBI were all silent when asked whether America's uh, Americans deserve to know more about why the former president's residence was raided. We did not have notice of the reported action and would refer you to the Justice Department for any additional information. A White House official uh, said, uh, repeating a previous statement, the White House didn't respond to a follow up email about whether it believed Americans should be given more information about the raid. An FBI spokesperson declined to comment in an email The Department of Justice spokesperson Kelsey Petranton also declined to comment. On Monday evening, the FBI agents executed a search warrant of the uh, president's uh, residence in Palm Beach, Florida. According to sources, the uh, search was part of the department's investigation into whether the president, the former president, improperly took government materials from his time in office. The FBI agents confiscated 15 boxes of classified materials during that raid, according to the source. And there are even some Democrats who are questioning whether or not this was overkill. But again, as described, this is often a pretext for something else. So we'll continue to follow the story if and when more information is available. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later this hour, John Agresto. He is the author of The Death of Learning, How American Education Has Failed Our Students and What to Do About It. He has taught at the University of Toronto, Kenyon College, Duke University, Wabash College, and the New School University. He was a scholar at the National Humanities Center in North Carolina and later served in senior positions at the National Endowment for the Humanities. Uh, again, his uh, book that we'll be talking about, The Death of Learning, How American Education Has Failed, Our Students, and What to Do About It, coming up. Well, Senate Democrats passed their massive spending package on Sunday in a party line vote using budget reconciliation. This, of course, is in the Senate. The so-called Inflation Reduction Act passed the Senate via a simple majority with the vice president casting the tie breaking vote. Democrats use the budget reconciliation process, which allows a measure to pass with a simple majority rather than needing to meet a 60 vote threshold. The legislation is essentially a pared down version of the president's Build Back Better package that was put to test to rest rather last year when Senator Joe Manchin pulled his support. Well, the plan would allocate three hundred and sixty nine billion dollars for energy and climate initiatives, while another sixty four million or rather billion uh, would be used to extend expiring federal subsidies for people buying health insurance for another three years. The bill would impose new taxes to pay for it. Despite its name, the bill's impact on inflation is expected to be statistically indistinguishable from zero. That's according to an independent analysis performed by the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. Republicans have been outspoken against the legislation. Senator Mike Crapple of uh, Idaho, the top Republican on the Senate Finance Committee, said it does nothing to bring the economy out of stagnation and recession, but rather the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 gives us higher taxes, more spending, higher prices, and an army of IRS agents. And that is certainly no overstatement. In a vow of vengeance, the GOP promised payback for raising taxes on Americans after the Senate passed the massive social spending bill, saying this is horrific. The New York Times mayor, or rather New York City mayor, Eric Adams, holds nothing back after a second bus of busload of migrants arrives. Turning the tide, the L.A. Times is uh, pressuring President Biden to declare an emergency over top Far-left priorities. The Los Angeles Times editorial board published a piece on Friday calling on President Biden to declare a climate emergency, which would empower him to utilize more executive authority to curb carbon emissions in the U.S. The editors pondered whether the Inflation Reduction Act, which just passed exclusively by Democrats in the Senate, with Vice President Kamala Harris tie-breaking vote, would appease Biden's appetite for a green energy agenda and determine further more heavy-handed executive regulations. Far-reaching consequences, CNN's Brian Stetler says the Hunter Biden scandal is not just a right-wing media story and may prevent a 2024 Biden run. That's a reversal from what he said before. Political obfuscation, Peter Mayor says Democratic meddling in this GOP primary paints a very telling picture of U.S. politics. Offering a vigorous self-defense, Florida prosecutor Andrew Warren, who was suspended, vows to fight after Governor DeSantis did just that. Saying he is the only choice, Matt Schlapp says CPAC proved Trump will lead the conservative movement until he takes his last breath, end quote. On the border crisis, NPR blasted uh, GOP governors for busing illegal immigrants to D.C. with no plan for what's next, as if they have a plan when the people cross the border into their border states. So maybe they'll finally get the point border states have been trying to make. 
No, that's too much to ask for. Declaring a wide open field, ABC panelists say Vice President Kamala Harris is not next in line if President Biden doesn't run in 2024. Saying we will not yield, former President Trump drops a major hint about a possible 2024 White House run after the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago. Calling them regime agents, Republicans tear into the un-American and unprecedented FBI raid on Trump's estate. Beware of the tax man. Americans fear the IRS will use the Inflation Reduction Act funding to audit average and low income taxpayers. I mean, what are all those some? What is it? Eighty one thousand new IRS agents. What are they going to do when they finish with the very small number of um, million and billionaires? Calling them the real heroes, Bethany Mandel argues, parents fighting schools to protect their kids are not book banners. In case of dark money, the squad supporting Justice Democrats PAC raked in six figures from unknown donors. It was a strange day. Trump stumped for Sarah Palin on the same day as the FBI Mar-a-Lago raid. Is the IRS a beast in beast mode? White House economic advisor Jared Bernstein appeared on CNBC's Squawk Box on Monday and was interviewed by the host who questioned him about the impact the Inflation Reduction Act will have on taxpayers. It passed by the House uh, and signed by the president. The legislation would add 87, I think I said 81,000, but it was 87,000 IRS agents. Additionally, it would raise taxes on most Americans, despite promises not to increase taxes on those making less than $400,000. I want to be clear. Is the president guaranteeing nobody making under $400,000 will be audited by the new agents? Asked Sullivan, the host of the show. No, no, no. That's not what I said. Nobody making under uh, $400,000 will pay higher taxes under the Inflation Reduction Act. If they are uh, uh, doubling the size of the IRS, then who are they going to go after, asked Sullivan, while also mentioning small business. Well, Bernstein did not answer that question regarding who the extra IRS agents would audit and instead restated his pledge that people making under $400,000 per year will not pay more in taxes. However, it was reported that according to the nonpartisan Joint Committee on Taxation, Bernstein's pledge is not true. According to the JCT, Americans making less than $10,000 per year would see a 0.3% tax hike starting in 2023. Overall, starting in the same year, taxes would increase by $16.7 billion for Americans earning less than $200,000. Counting the votes, two vulnerable House Democrats suggested support for the Manchin-Schumer bill could be in jeopardy over an energy fee. Flip-flop, flip-flop, CNN's Brian Stetler pivoted on Sunday when declaring the Hunter Biden scandal isn't just some right-wing media story after previously calling the story a classic example of right-wing media machine. But critics feel the uh, liberal host is simply desperate to keep his job. Critics say Brian Stetler's pivot on Hunter Biden is being seen as a desperate attempt to keep that paycheck. Saying he's uh, got more than a shot, Bill Maher, he suggests Ron DeSantis could beat Trump in the 2024 GOP primary. Not a clue. Biden is being skewered for admitting God knows what else is in the Inflation Reduction Act. Don Lemon rejects the narrative that the new CNN boss wants to shift the network to the political center with Charlemagne the God. That's his chosen name, apparently. Sean Hannity says the Department of Justice is now being used as a weapon against Biden's top political rival. And Laura Ingram suggests that the real target of this investigation is anyone who dares to call out the corruption of D.C., on Forgotten Workers, the great resignation turns to the great regret as workers' needs uh, are not being met, according to experts. 
The Senate has passed the Inflation Reduction Act. The bill now heads to the House, where it will be voted on. The Democrat Reconciliation Bill will add 87,000 new IRS workers. And only 12 percent of Americans trust Senator Manchin and Schumer's Inflation Reduction Act will actually reduce inflation. Only 12 percent of Americans believe the Democrats' Inflation Reduction Act will accomplish what its name suggests, according to a YouGov poll released on Wednesday. The survey asked nearly 1,500 Americans between the 30th of July and the 2nd of this month about their thoughts on the new spending package that Democrats are using to resurrect part of the president's Build Back Better agenda. The results show that most people don't think the bill will reduce inflation. Indiana is the first state to ban abortion since the overturn of Roe. Town Hall reports that Indiana has become the first state to place a near total ban on abortion post the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. Uh, Governor Eric Holcomb signed the bill late Friday evening, which will ban the procedure except in cases of rape, incest and to protect the life uh, and physical health of the mother. However, the rape and incest exceptions only apply in the first 10 weeks post fertilization. Victims would not be required to sign a notarized affidavit attesting to an attack which had previously been proposed. The ban, which will take effect on the 15th of September, will eventually shut down all abortion clinics since the procedure can only be done in hospitals or outpatient centers owned by hospitals. Taiwan is scrambling jets to thwart the Chinese exercise, simulating an invasion of the self-governed island. And sadly, Snickers candy bar maker Mars Wrigley apologized to China for suggesting Taiwan is independent. Mars Wrigley, the manufacturer of the delicious candy bar, apologized Friday for promotional material that referred to Taiwan as its own country. The American candy maker had been promoting what appeared to be an online event in the South Korean boy band BTS and a video on social media. The video meant for audiences outside of China said attendance was restricted to people of certain countries and included a flag of Taiwan. After several nationalistic influencers shared a screenshot of the Snickers promotional video on Weibo, a popular Chinese social media site, thousands of Chinese Internet users slammed it for describing Taiwan as a country. After all, Taiwan determines what Americans, citizens and corporations can and cannot say it would appear. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, a conversation with Professor John Agresto. The death of learning, how American education has failed our students and what to do about it. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest makes the point that the liberal arts are dying. They're dying because most Americans don't see the point of them. Americans don't understand why anyone would study literature or history or the classics or more contemporarily feminist criticism, whiteness studies or the literature of post-colonial states when they can well get an engineering or a business degree. Even more concerning is when they read how Western civilization has become a term of reproach at so many supposedly thoughtful institutions or how fanatical political correctness works hard to silence alternative viewpoints or more generally how liberal studies have become scattered, narrow and small. In this atmosphere, it's hard to convince them of or their progeny that the liberal education is all that uh, wonderful 
or that it's even worthy of respect. So how can we rebuild the notion that a liberal education is truly a value both to students and to the nation? Well, my next guest is John Agresto. He has taught at the University of Toronto, Kenyon College, Duke University, Wabash College, and the New School University. He was a scholar at the National Humanities Center in North Carolina and later served in senior positions at the National Endowment for the Humanities. He was president of the St. John's College for 11 years and in 2003 went to Iraq as the senior advisor for higher education and scientific research for the Coalition Provisional Authority. Though recently retired as the uh, uh, probate judge in Santa Fe County, he remains president of John Agresto and Associates, an educational consulting company. He joins us today to talk about his latest book titled The Death of Learning, How American Education Has Failed Our Students and What to Do About It. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Georgine. I'm a um, this is a pleasure. Well, thank you. It is for me as well. You begin the book by pointing out that in one way or the other, the liberal arts and liberal education have become a part of your life uh, for um, well over 50 years. Let's yeah. begin at the beginning uh, and, and discuss what are we talking about when you refer to liberal education or liberal arts education? Yeah. Uh, what we're not talking about is liberal versus conservative uh, or liberal as a political ideology. We're talking about a kind of education that liberates the mind, that makes kids, by, by, by and large, but all of us, when we study history, philosophy, the classics, uh, English or world literature, makes us understand better, see the world better, see the world more clearly. Uh, it gives us, to be blunt about it, uh, it gives us insight into the some of the most important things, and it does it by uh, by reading and by teaching how to, us how to think. Uh, and it's it's one of the greatest gifts of Western civilization to humanity. We we have a, an education that seeks to do a few things first to liberate the mind of our students, to liberate our mind, uh, to teach us how to tell. Uh, better from worse, uh, smarter from dumber, uh, and it, it's not only a benefit to us, but if it does what it says I hope it does, uh, and it's not doing it well these days, it's a benefit to the country. Uh, we are people who desperately need to know history, need to know what models of human excellence are, uh, to see what others have done, to learn what what to learn from Western civilization, both its 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 goodness and and its mistakes, uh, uh, we it just makes us smarter about things that matter. If I could put it that yeah, yeah. that succinctly, what has been the the primary enemy of a liberal arts education? Uh, <laughs> How long do we have? Huh? <laughs> I'm glad you said primary enemy. Because you said what's the enemy? I would say, well, come on, there are 18 enemies, 20, maybe 30. Uh, the uh, uh, the enemy right now uh, is a couple of things. Let's let's take the obvious ones. Uh, I do not think that kids don't want to know about uh, how should I live. Uh, what are models of human excellence? What's justice? What's truth? Uh, what's love? What's hate? Uh, uh, they don't. They want to know what uh, what the world is like. 
what makes it tick. They want to know what causes things and what the effects of things are. They long to know these things. They long to know what justice and love and hate are, what, 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 whether democracy is the best way to live. They long to know these things. And two things happen. They look at the liberal arts and they find out that the liberal arts don't have a clue anymore what, how to approach those subjects. They've, they've been so corrupted by graduate school and graduate school learning and research that teaching about the important things of life has escaped us. The second thing is, and this is a problem uh, that's been growing for quite a while, we're a country very much in love with, and not unfairly so, with work, with getting ahead, with making things, with being productive. Uh, and so we gravitate, given the choice, well, do you want to major in, in classics? Or do you want to major in philosophy? Do you want to major in English? Or do you want to major in engineering, make a lot of money? Do you want to major in business, business make a lot of money? Uh, maybe you want to major in, well, you name it. Uh, we, we know. And, uh, and since it, in most places it costs just as much to get a business degree and learn accounting or finance or marketing as it does to uh, learn uh, Shakespeare and literature and Plato and Aristotle, most kids are going to say, and most parents are going to say, don't waste our money. Get a business degree. You don't, don't, don't worry about that other stuff. That, those are the two things, I think, at the forefront of what's killing the liberal arts. Well, of course, uh, some young people might suggest, well, we have the Internet, and that's providing you know, insight into what justice looks like and the meaning of life and so on. I, my guess is you probably wouldn't agree that that's a great source for the kind of liberal arts <laughs> learning <laughs> that you, you wrote about. No, but, no, but I... Uh... Uh, I, uh, I I understand that. I even have a little footnote in there somewhere where I once heard uh, uh, someone say, uh, a young lady say, I didn't know you could learn about love from Shakespeare. I thought you had to go on the Internet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so Google love and Google and, and then read Shakespeare. And I think you'll see a lot more complexity, a lot more thoughtfulness in Shakespeare than you will in uh, most Google, most Google uh, uh, hits, uh, but no, I wouldn't agree with that. Uh, and the truth is, the other thing that's happening is uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not an enemy of the internet. I uh, when I have to look up something, is I go to Wikipedia. I really do. I go to Google, uh, but we've lost we've lost sight of reading, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and without reading. Uh, and I don't want to sound like an old fuddy-duddy, but there was a time when, when you wanted to learn, you read. Uh, and, you, and you went to a college where they had great books, uh, where you just didn't read, you know, anything or even slop. What you read were people who challenged your mind, challenged you to think, made you think about important things, about things that mattered. Uh, And then the other thing that the Internet cannot do, besides sort of hiding the idea of great books, uh, uh, the other thing the Internet can't do, except maybe in chat rooms, you really can't have a discussion the way you do in a seminar, where you sit around the table, you and and the professor or two professors and, and 10, 12, 14, 18, even students, and you talk about the book. 
I have, I've been a teacher now for over 50 years, pretty well over 50 years, and nothing is more exciting than a seminar where people say, could you say that again uh, to another <laughs> student? Could, could you explain, how, why do you say that? I see, now I see. It is so exciting, so lovely to see people talking to one another. Re- reading, I don't, I don't want to diminish it. Reading is excellent. Reading by yourself, if that's what you have to do, that's fine. But reading and then discussing it with people who are interested and excited and, and, and want to have a conversation, that's, that's perfection. Yeah, that's best of all. Is the rejection of Western civilization at the heart of the rejection of uh, liberal arts or liberal education? It's a surest part of it. I mean, it used to be that when kids went to college, certainly when you and I went to college, uh, uh, there was always a required course in Western Western civilization, a history course. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it were really good, it was a, you had a history course, and then you had sort of the history of of Western thought. You had uh, you went from Plato and Aristotle uh, up to. Uh, uh, up to up to uh, up to Descartes, up to uh, Locke, up to Hobbes, up to uh, uh, Whitehead, uh, up to modern philosophy, uh, and you covered the whole whole range, uh, and you covered you covered such a wide range that you could see you could see the, that there are no easy answers. Uh, what's justice? Uh, what makes democracies work and what makes democracies fail? What should I love and what should I not love? Uh, what do I owe myself? What do I owe my parents? What do I owe my country? The great philosophers give us insight. Insight. They, they may not always give us the final answer. And, if, and, and we've got to be careful of final answers because uh, just worry about people who say, I got the final answer for you. I know what it is. But you want to see what all the great alternatives are. Uh, uh, Jefferson uh, uh, learned so much. Uh, we, we, we dismissed Jefferson, uh, mm-hmm. just like we dismissed Aristotle. We're even learning now we've got to dismiss Washington and Lincoln. Uh, uh, these people thought about, let's just go back to what I was mentioning before, thought about liberty, equality, and democracy in ways that when students of goodwill look into it, they say, I never thought of that. That really is amazingly, that's important. But here's a person who says something different. That's important, too. It helps uh, us so to yeah, think Western critically. civilization in its sweep. Yeah, yeah. It, it is not, Western civilization is not a, uh, a, a progression of uh, good idea, better idea, best idea. Western civilization is a progression of a conversation about thinking, about thinking seriously, about alternatives, and about giving students the ability to understand. And once they have a good education, they're not so easily fooled by what they read, what they read online or what they, what they hear uh, on television. Elsewhere. Well, I tell you what, we need to take a break, but we'll be back in a few moments. Again, we're talking about the book, The Death of Learning, How American Education Has Failed Our Students and What to Do About It. John Agresto, my guest. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with John Agresto, author of The Death of Learning, How American Education Has Failed Our Students and What to Do About It. Well, I want to spend the remainder of our time, which is relatively short, on what to do about it. 
Um, you made the case that we have drifted away from uh, liberal education or liberal arts education and some of the reasons why that's the case. How do we how do we move back in a direction that will, I, I would say, add depth and breadth to a student's education who may choose to be an engineer, but also has uh, the the broader background of the classics, for example? Yeah. 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 Uh... First, we have to understand that getting a liberal arts education does not disable you from becoming an engineer or a doctor or, or a chef or a mechanic or a, or a good husband or a good wife. Uh, it's, there is no antagonism between the liberal arts and, the prof- and professional or, or, or technical learning, number one. Uh, uh, number two, uh, we talked about liberal education, uh, I did at least, and you could tell I was talking so fast, I keep getting so excited about this, <laughs> Georgine. Uh, the, uh, uh, as, as something that liberates the human mind. The other thing it does, and this is why liberal education, I think, is suspect these days, because people say, why do I want to see, why, why should kids learn liberal things? Why can't they learn conservative things? Uh, I think the answer is the liberal arts, or as you keep rightly called the liberal arts education, is such so paradoxical in a way. It not only teaches us how to think, to use our imaginations, think new thoughts, but think old thoughts. Liberal arts education conserves the learning of civilization. Uh, it is probably the most conservative thing you can do in education. And the left understands this, Georgine, because the left wants to get rid of Aristotle and Shakespeare and Locke and Newton uh, and uh, and not read those things. They want to say, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go. And to be honest, on most campuses, go, it's, it has. How do we restore it to answer your, your current mm-hmm. question? Mm-hmm. What we have to do is uh, first convince parents uh, that liberal education is worthwhile for their kids, worthwhile for the country. Number two, we've got to get rid of this idea that, uh, you know, to sit down in a class where you've read a book and you talk about it cannot cost as much as becoming a petroleum engineer. It, it is outrageous what colleges do, how they beggar the liberal arts in order to support their uh, their engineering labs, uh, and, you know, and their and their pre med programs, all of which are valuable, and they're so valuable. Everybody knows that if you go through them, you're going to make a lot of money. They should be, they should cost what they need to cost. Uh, colleges are really universities really are killing the liberal arts by charging fifty, sixty, even more thousand dollars mm-hmm. a year, so you could read Shakespeare with a bunch of like-minded students. Uh, the other thing is uh, that uh, the the that there are a number of places that have never lost the spark of liberal learning. Uh, I was president for St. John's College uh, here in Santa Fe, and we have a branch in Annapolis. Uh, uh, for 11 years, and we still read the great books, and we read them very seriously. There are lots of religious colleges. It used to be thought that religion and the liberal arts were enemies. Uh, and in fact, I remember when I went to Boston College, a Catholic university, Phi Beta Kappa wouldn't give us a Phi Beta Kappa char- charter because they said we were a sectarian school. 
uh, and therefore we couldn't be a liberal arts university. What baloney that is. Uh, uh, but there are still a lot of colleges that have a traditional religious uh, base that are liberal arts colleges. Baylor's a good one. Thomas Aquinas College in California is a great one. Uh, there are very many liberal arts colleges uh, that are that are uh, have re- religious bases, uh, which I also think is very good since the liberal arts uh, teach many wonderful things. I don't think they teach you uh, uh, faith, hope, and charity, uh, which are important, but I do believe uh, sometimes a religious college does better by our students than, than anything else. Uh, but the other thing is there are colleges, not ones that only exist, but new ones coming up. Uh, they started a, a new college uh, in Texas, the University of Austin. I think that's uh, a great model. People are getting sick and tired of the narrowness of the liberal arts, the fact that teachers can only teach their dissertations these days, uh, that the liberal arts have become small, that the liberal arts have become political. Uh, that's what you think of when you think of the liberal mm-hmm. arts. Uh, and and there are places, good places, uh, and they always need support so they can keep that cost down too. Uh, there are good places that are really traditional liberal arts colleges, not as much as they used to be, but there are places. Are you optimistic that people are beginning to recognize the loss and uh, perhaps reconsidering how to reincorporate the liberal arts in colleges and universities? I, 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 I am optimistic uh, because you said people, and I do believe people, if by that you mean parents, aunts, mm-hmm. uncles. Uh, yeah, I do believe that's the optimistic side. I do not believe that professors, college administrators, university functionaries, I do not believe that they uh, are on board with this. I mean, it used to be that uh, college presidents used to say that the liberal arts were the crown jewel of their offerings. Mm-hmm. They don't say that anymore. They, they say that their their engineering programs, their technology programs, their business school, those are the crown jewels of modern university. Uh, there's a, uh, nobody, students think the liberal arts are boring, and to be honest, today they are, uh, and uh, useless. Uh, for their future, and to be honest, today they are. And uh, uh, colleges and university administrators and professors uh, are not as interested in teaching the liberal arts as they used to. Although I have to say, if you want to find people who still have a respect for the liberal arts who are uh, teaching universities, a lot of people in the business schools and many people in the sciences say, you know, you really should study the liberal arts too. I just wish more people in teaching the liberal arts would say that. Yeah. Well, the book we've been talking about is The Death of Learning, How American Education Has Failed Our Students and What to Do About It. It really goes into much more depth than our conversation and our limited time would reflect. But if you are concerned, I, I have a liberal arts education. If you're concerned about the future, 
um, and how to perhaps restore some of what's been lost. This is a great volume to do just that. The book is published by Encounter. And again, my guest, uh, John Agresto. Thank you so much for the time you've spent with us here today and for the oh, book. Thank you, Georgie. And today is the publication day of the book. So Congratulations. So can get on the ground floor today. Excellent. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Georgie. Uh-huh. This Bye-bye. was excellent. Bye-bye. Again, the death of learning, how American education has failed our students and what to do about it. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. And when we return, we'll uh, take a look at some additional headlines and a conversation I had with uh, Dr. Greg Jantz. Uh, His book is Social Media and Depression. All of that coming up on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us once again. James Blend is producing and Sam Maupin engineering. We're going to continue our wind through some of the day's headlines now and later in the program. But we'll also uh, share a conversation I had with Greg Jantz. Dr. Jantz is the author of Social Media and Depression. That's coming up for the next couple of segments. Well, the Inflation Reduction Act bill also strips funding from pharmaceutical companies and redirects that funding to the Internal Revenue Service. Well, the president was criticized on Twitter on Monday, excuse me, for appearing to admit that he doesn't know what's in the Inflation Reduction Act, legislation that his administration championed. What we're doing today, what we passed yesterday, uh, helping to take care of everything from health care to God knows what else, end quote. Well, the president said during a speech in Kentucky after touring the state's flood damage, the legislation that passed the Senate on Sunday on a party line vote with Vice President Kamala Harris, the tiebreaker, will increase taxes for nearly all Americans while adding 87,000, 87,000 IRS agents and actually increase inflation in its first year, according to the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton budget model. Well, pharmaceutical companies responsible for vaccines for illness such as covid a hit hard by the bill, the Wall Street Journal points out that the so-called Inflation Reduction Act will be one of the greatest miscalculations of federal resources in American history. Wow. The bill has many moving parts, but here's a simple way to sum up the macroeconomic impact. It would transfer about a quarter of a trillion dollars from American pharmaceutical industry which saves and extends lives to the climate change industrial complex, which makes energy more expensive. End quote. Well, Mayor Eric Adams uh, reacted to illegal immigrants being bused to New York City, saying it's an un-American and horrific thing to do. It's apparently okay for border states to deal with it, but it's overwhelming um, in New York City, so it's not okay. Well, New York City Mayor Adams uh, slammed Texas for sending busloads of uh, illegal aliens to the Big Apple, claiming that the city is struggling to handle the influx of individuals. Sunday morning, Adams met. The second busload of migrants, the second, only the second, arriving from the Lone Star State, the Democratic mayor who ran for election with a promise to keep New York a sanctuary city. So in theory, it sounds great. We're a sanctuary city, but just don't send anybody here. He blasted Governor Greg Abbott for transporting the immigrants across the country to his city. And by the way, they signed a statement saying this is where they wanted to go. Mayor Eric Adams uh, used innocent people as political pawns to manufacture a crisis. New Yorkers are stepping up to fix it. That's our city's values. But we need the federal government's help, money, technical assistance and more. You know, the sorts of things that Texas, Arizona and other border states have been asking for for months. Well, CBS says it it all came after two busloads of migrants seeking refuge were shipped to the city over the weekend from Texas with little warning. Texas doesn't, by the way, get a warning when... 
hundreds, thousands of people cross the border. Arizona doesn't get a uh, heads up. Corrine Jean-Pierre accused Texas Governor Abbott of using migrants as a political pawn for busing illegal immigrants to cities. The administration has been secretly flying illegal immigrants to cities across the country for over a year, but somehow busing from Texas, it's beyond the pale. On Taiwan tensions, China is continuing its military exercises and are being accused, is being accused rather, of launching cyber attacks. The Wall Street Journal reports that China said it was extending its military exercises around Taiwan following a visit last week by U.S. uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, while Taiwan's military on Monday accused Beijing of carrying on sustained cyber attacks against the island that rendered key government websites inaccessible. China's military, the People's Liberation Army, said Monday that it would continue with exercises for an unspecified period of time after wrapping up four days of maneuvers between Thursday and Sunday which demonstrated its ability to effectively blockade the island. In addition to its more visible military maneuvers, Taiwanese Lieutenant General Liu Chen-Chung, he told a news conference on Monday the Chinese Communist Party didn't go easy on the Internet, accusing Beijing of continuing a campaign aimed at crippling key Taiwanese websites. More Ukraine aid. President Biden plans to supply another $1 billion to Um, Ukraine in military support. The administration announced uh, yesterday it's sending one billion dollars in new military assistance to Ukraine, marking what the Pentagon said is the largest package of arms and equipment from its uh, inventory since Russia's invasion more than five months ago. The shipment of weapons and equipment will include more ammunition for high mobility artillery rocket systems, 1000 javelin anti-tank missiles, anti-armor systems, mortar systems and tens of thousands of artillery ammunition, as well as 50 armored medical treatment vehicles and medical supplies. The Pentagon said the latest delivery of arms from the Defense Department brings the total amount of U.S. security aid to Ukraine to $9.8 billion since the president took office last year, including more than $9 billion since Russia invaded Ukraine in late February. The Associated Press weighs in, saying this is the 18th time the Pentagon has provided equipment from Defense Department stocks to Ukraine since August of last year. Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky, earlier in the war, launched near-daily calls for warplanes, calling them essential to protecting Ukraine's skies. The U.S. and some other NATO countries fear that could draw them out uh, into more direct involvement with Ukraine's war against Russia and have not provided Western aircraft. The very thing, he said, they desperately need. Ukraine and Russia traded blame for a missile that fell near Zaporinskaya. It's a nuclear plant. Uh, The international crisis over the weekend shelling of Europe's largest nuclear power plant deepened on Monday as Russia and Ukraine traded blame for missile attacks and the United Nations secretary general warned that an attack on a nuclear facility would be suicidal. Ukraine's nuclear regulator Energo Atom on Monday accused Russia of bombing power lines and to sever uh, the plant from the Ukrainian electrical grid and goading Ukrainian forces positioned across the river into attacks. It said the plant staff were forced to close one of its six reactors over the weekend after an attack that uh, severed a high-voltage power line, damaged three radiation monitors, and shattered 800 square meters of window surface. There's been no damage to the reactor itself and no radiological release thus far. But Energo Adam said a missile landed near a dry spent fuel storage facility where 174 containers were being held in the open would be disastrous. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov, he blamed Ukraine for shelling the plant and warned of catastrophic consequences for a vast territory, including the territory of Europe. 
U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres, he called for nuclear inspectors to be given access to the 5.7 gigawatt plant. A California judge has ruled non-citizens cannot vote in elections. The California Globe reports that in 2016, San Francisco voters approved a charter amendment allowing certain non-citizens to vote in school board elections. The charter amendment also gave the County Board of Supervisors authority to extend the non-citizen voting authorization beyond 2022. Well, on the 2nd of November 2021, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors extended indefinitely the ordinance, allowing non-citizens to vote beyond 2022. Well, in March of this year, California Attorney James Lacey filed a lawsuit against the city and county of San Francisco over the law, arguing that San Francisco residents have a clear interest in ensuring their school board elections follow state law, especially because state taxpayers partially fund school districts. San Francisco Superior Court Judge Richard Ulmer just ruled in favor of Lacey. Well, the Grease star Olivia Newton-John has passed away. She was 73. Olivia Newton-John, the Australian singer whose uh, breathy voice and wholesome beauty made her one of the biggest pop stars of the 70s and charmed generations of viewers in the blockbuster movie Grease. She died on Monday, according to a statement from her husband. She was 73. The singer revealed in September of 2018 that she was treating cancer at a base, the base of her spine. It was her third cancer diagnosis following bouts with breast cancer in the early 90s and again in 2017. According to a whistleblower, there are hundreds of terrorists among the Afghan evacuees here in country. A Department of Defense whistleblower is claiming that hundreds among the thousands of Afghan refugees whom the U.S. evacuated from Kabul last year as the country was collapsing into Taliban hands were on the Department of Defense's terror watch list. Senators Josh Hawley and Ron Johnson uh, sent a letter calling for the Pentagon's inspector general to investigate the claims on the grounds that the Department of Defense failed to properly vet refugees from Afghanistan. The letter notes that 324 individuals evacuated from the country were allowed to enter the U.S. despite appearing on the Department of Defense biometrically enabled watch list. FBI Director Christopher Ray acknowledged that the agency is aware of the claims and is actively investigating a number of individuals, though he didn't know the exact number, 324, in case he wonders. Furthermore, when questioned as to the current location of these suspect individuals, Ray said, I can't sit here and right now and tell you that we know where all of, uh, of them are located at any given time. The whistleblower alleges that the Department of Defense instructed agency personnel to cut corners when processing evacuees. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, a conversation I had with Greg Jantz. Dr. Jantz is the author of Social Media and Depression. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, there's growing research that shows we as a society have a social media dilemma. Social media use has a dark side, including elevated risk of depression and anxiety. But avoiding negative outcomes is not the only reason to educate ourselves about the pitfalls and learn to avoid them. Preserving the benefits of responsible social media engagement is also a payoff worth pursuing. So how do we do all of that? Well, my next guest has written a book on the subject that will help us. Social media and depression. Spending too much time interacting with our electronic devices can lead to negative mental health consequences. 
consequences that are similar to other forms of addictions. And so managing all of that is what we'll be talking about for the next couple of segments. Dr. Gregory Jantz is the founder of the Center, a place of hope in Edmonds, Washington. He was voted a top uh, 10 facility for depression treatment in the United States. Dr. Jantz pioneered whole person care in the 1980s and is a world-renowned expert on depression, anxiety, eating disorders, technology addiction, and abuse. Dr. Jantz is a best-selling author of 40 books and has appeared on CBS, ABC, NBC, Fox, and CNN. And we're just delighted to have him with us today to talk about this very handy resource, social media and depression. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Jans. Oh, good to be with you today. And social media is a problem. It is a problem. It's a wonderful tool, but it can also have a side that, that we don't fully understand. How do we uh, assess our own vulnerabilities to social media? Um, how do we know if we have a problem and how do we assess, um, you know, our relationship to it, healthy or unhealthy? Yes. And let me just qualify by saying I am, I'm on social media, but if we don't have boundaries with time and what we are viewing and engaging with, it's an easy setup. We know that people who spend more time uh, in social media who already are struggling with maybe some depression tendencies, we know that what happens is they will actually increase in their depression symptoms. So uh, we need to look at the social media world and, and why are we so deep into it? Are we using it as our definitive source of information? And, you know, we also need to look generationally uh the involvement, who's our age groups that are engaged, and what does this do um, even to the developing brain? So those are some of the important questions we have to ask. Now, you share in the book some of the dangers posed by excessive or imbalanced use of social media. What are some of these excessive uses or uh, imbalanced use that can be harmful? Well, one of the things that we're seeing is uh, people are spending more time, if you will, in social media than in real relationships. They would rather isolate and engage in social media versus see a person in person. Uh, if you've ever had a, a break or a lunch or a coffee with somebody and they're on, I call it a device, they're <laughs> on their device more than, you know, than they're talking to you, that's probably a problem mm-hmm. because this can devalue relationships, and as we devalue the relationship because it's showing that something else has your attention. And so then we develop something that I call partial attention. You're only partially engaged with that person, which has an effect on really devaluing the importance of that relationship. What role did the pandemic and the isolation that it afforded, what role did that play on our growing dependence on social media in place of being able to come together and maybe forgetting how to how to do that? Yes. Well, one of the things that we know is that during the intensity of the pandemic, during this time, the engagement, the isolation was high, so the engagement into online activities uh, really increased. And let me just add, some of the online activities that increased uh, were not healthy or not good. Uh, pornography use went up. Uh, we know that um, people uh, began to use social media to, where there was division and there was um, 
you know, kind of almost an online hatred and anger. And so it hasn't always been good. And it's important to say, okay, what did this do to me? Um, if you already are struggling a little bit, maybe with um, self-esteem and you're going, and, and then you compare yourself when you're online. It's a, it's a way of comparing. And uh, we use it to judge what is reality, which is really not a good thing to do. And so the pandemic just escalated all the issues. Yeah. How can social media cause depression? Well, because we're comparing because we go online and we're not engaged in real relationships. And one of the things that we know is the more that you're um, away from real relationships, the really what's happening online is there's a lowering of our self-esteem. It's the most fascinating thing to watch. Somebody who's just spent six hours online in social media um, tends to be irritable. They tend to be uh, not feeling good about themselves. You start to see more isolation. Uh, we know that there are some things online. Uh, we see this um, constantly that um, you know, there's too much um, sexual content, sexualization. Um, there's things that people bump into, not necessarily intentionally, but they begin and become engaged. So we've got to talk about this with our kids and really do a really a check-in with our own selves. How well are we doing? In your book, Social Media and Depression, do you see signs, and in your practice, I should say, do you see signs of addictions or narcissism from excessive social media use? Yes. Excessive social media use. And, you know, everybody, like any other addiction, um, you misjudge how much time you've spent online. And what that looks like is you ask, a, let's say you ask a person who's struggling with alcohol, well, how much did you have to drink? And they go, well, I just had one beer. What? And, and the reality is they just had six. Okay, that's the way social media, how long were you online? Oh, just, just maybe a half hour, and it was really six hours. Mm-hmm. So is that fairly common, that people underestimate the impact, the time spent on social media? Yes. The amount of time spent in social media can um, rob us of relationships. It takes away emotional closeness from another person. And yet the delusion of social media is we begin to believe that we have lots of friends, right? And we're looking for it as a place of uh, of seeking approval. Yeah, yeah. Now, does use of social media or rather misuse of social media impact teens and uh, young people differently than it does adults? Is there a greater Um, danger? You know, I think with teens, there's the shaping of self, self self-identity. There is, uh, we have a generation where there's a lot of apathy. We have a generation where there's a lot of just um, uh, not hope for the future. And so we're seeing uh, kids engage in, in really an alternative, at times, times, an alternative reality. You know, everything is virtual. Mm-hmm. If we look at it, during the pandemic, virtual learning failed. We had the highest academic failure on record. And so we can expect that that virtual world will have a similar impact on the real life of uh, individuals who immerse themselves in it, especially young people. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So, and so this is not, again, I'm going to say I'm not against the use of social media. 
Um, I participate, but we really have to look at this and go, have strong boundaries, how much time are being spent, and what are we spending our time on? Can we self-regulate? What happens is when it really becomes an addiction, and there is a such thing as a digital addiction, we see it here at the center, a place of hope. Uh, people coming in, and we find uh, that they'll have symptoms like any other addiction. So digital addiction is real. Now, when you say similar uh, symptoms of other kinds of addictions, can you give an example? Because it's hard to imagine how that kind of addiction would would be similar to the kinds of substance abuse, for example, that one might be addicted to. Yes. Uh, When somebody comes to, now we're a facility where people come and stay. When somebody uh, comes to us, uh, for the first three days, um, they're not on any kind of screens. They check their cell phones and their tablets and everything. They check them in for the initial three days. Many individuals will start to have what I'll call withdrawal symptoms. Mm -hmm. Their heart rate goes up. They get sweaty palms. They get headaches. And it's a symptom of of addiction. Isn't that interesting? And they'll say, hey, I've got to have my phone back. I forgot to tell somebody something. You know, whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, Yes. Well, that is fascinating to consider that uh, that link. We're going to continue our conversation, but I do need to take a quick break again. Talking with Dr. Greg Jantz, his latest uh, book is Social Media and Depression. We'll continue in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Gregory Van, uh, Jans. He is the author of Social Media and Depression, How to Be Healthy and Happy in the Digital Age. And the good news is you can be both in the digital age. Um, one of the things that we um, are very cons- uh, concerned about is the, the fact that um, overuse or misuse of social media, as you put it, digital media, uh, can be a mood-altering drug. It can be addictive. It can... Um, contribute to or even cause depression. Is that a fair characterization of the misuse of social media that can, on the other hand, uh, be very beneficial if we know how to manage it well? Well, yes, absolutely. Uh, I don't know that we could always say it causes depression, but if you're on the edge and you've struggled, it will increase your depression. And I haven't mentioned anxiety yet, but anxiety levels tend to increase the more you're involved in social media. Well, why is that? Well, we're comparing, there's things that are being said, um, we have an emotional reaction to a lot of the things. There are There is certainly is some things in social media that are very inappropriate uh, in many different ways, and we react to those. And what we tend to do is we spend more time in social media than what we ever realized, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and time passes and passes, and at the expense of other relationships. Now, what are what are some of the different types of cyber bullying? You've talked a lot about this uh, tendency uh, to compare ourselves with the images that aren't aren't always uh, an accurate image of someone else's life, but um, cyber bullying is another concern. Can you talk a little bit about that and the different types that are out there? Yes, there's cyberbullying where we, people will uh, obviously make online threats um, and cyberbullying that people will say and do things online or in social media that they wouldn't do in person. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's as though you're, you're, you're bolder and you can take on a different personality engaged when you're engaged in social media. Uh, so people will say and do things that in real life they wouldn't normally do. Well, in addition to pointing out the, the challenges of managing social media well, you also offer strategies for healthy use of social media. So let's talk a little bit about that, because I think most of us want to be healthy and happy in the digital age, but don't necessarily know how to navigate that for ourselves or how to encourage young people to use it in a healthy way. So what are some of the strategies for healthy use of this medium? Well, I think what am I subscribing to? What am I engaged with? How am I using social media? Is it for some, it's their primary source of news and information. Is that the best way? Um, And am I able, the question to ask, am I able to um, really truthfully uh, modulate my time? So can I put on a timer and after 15 minutes really get off of social media or do I stay on? Am I walking around the house with my phone and I have family members talking to me and I'm not engaging with them or I'm not hearing what they're saying. So how much time does it really take? And as you look at that, you go, is this drawing me closer to my important relationships or is this an intimacy barrier? Mm. You also offer in the book Social Media and Depression, How to Be Healthy and Happy in the Digital Age, ways to assess um, one's vulnerabilities to social media use. I mean, we're all different. Some of us can handle more than others. I think there's some healthy boundaries that should apply to all of us. But how can we assess our own vulnerabilities? Well, one of the things is take a day of the week, maybe it's Sunday, and just do a fast uh, detox, if you will. And see how well you do. And what social media do I find myself? It can be very tempting, uh, very tempting. Um, And so part of the assessment is where am I spending my time? What am I looking for? What am I hoping to see? So social media teases you. And do I have the personal discipline? Am I willing to be accountable? So those are a few of the things that we want to look at. You suggest uh, your readers choose best practices to minimize risks. What are some of those best practices? Well, I mentioned one. One is to be accountable. Yes. The other is set a, even set a timer. And can I do I stop after a certain period of time? Um, other is how am I using it? Uh, am I using this? Uh, is is it really beneficial? Am I am I learning, or is it just what I call doom scrolling? I'm engaged, I'm just doom scrolling, and everything I'm reading is negative. Everything I'm reading is causing me to have more anxiety. And so this is really, really important that you look at. What am, am I engaging in just negative information? And it's so easy, uh, so easy to do, especially uh, today when the uh, the Internet does embolden people to behave in ways they wouldn't in face-to-face uh, interaction. What do you say to parents who are concerned that their uh, sons or daughters or young people um, are immersed in social media, have lost the capacity to engage in um, social interaction, as many young people did, having been isolated for a period of time? How do you help to transition someone else, particularly a younger person, uh, that you recognize is in a in an unhealthy state? Well, I think one of the things is we always want to focus on loving and caring for the person and and not come in, you know, people who feel harshly judged, people who feel um, 
you know, uh, that you are trying to control them, they're going to rebel. And so one of the things is, first of all, we need to set a personal good example Mm -hmm. of this. And, you know, what are we modeling to our family? Let's just start there. (laughs) You know, am I really, you know, in the evenings or in the home, am I always on my device? Or am I truly engaging in another person um, relationship? We, for example, one of the rules that we have is you don't pull out your phone during uh, dinner time or when you're around the table. You're fully present. Uh, so just having simple, uh, I call them boundaries, that helps really um, navigate this in the home front. W- what time, if you have kids, are your devices, um, you know, on on the chargers, awake, not in their bedrooms, etc. Yeah. Is there an age at which you suggest um, a young person be permitted to engage in social media? And I'm not talking about using computers for schoolwork or, you know, the necessary interaction that's required through education, for example. But is there a point at which it's unhealthy for a, a very young person to be involved in social media? You know, I, the age is, is funny on this, but I get really concerned when I see uh, that we're using social media, we're using devices to babysit kids who are five and six years old, you know, and I, you know, I, I usually say we want to wait as long as possible. And then there needs to be some real teaching around this, though this is new, I get it. But um, and kids learn things quickly. And, you know, they usually if something happens in the news, they know about it um, quickly. So this is important that we talk about um, good, good online or good digital hygiene. Digital hygiene. <laughs> I like that. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> well, this is a very useful, um, useful book, Social Media and Depression, How to Be Healthy and Happy in the Digital Age. Um, you, along with uh, Keith Wall, have provided a resource. I think a lot of parents and, for that matter, adults will find a handy. Is this a problem that you're seeing increase over time, or are you optimistic that people are recognizing, especially coming out of the pandemic, uh, that we really need to reassess our relationship with uh, with the digital world? I think we've got to ongoingly keep an eye on this. Absolutely. So one of the things that's so important is um, to understand that we if things will change over the time, there's always something new. There's always a new app. Things change. But have a sense uh, of always keeping this as an engaged conversation. Yeah, yeah. Once again, the book is titled Social Media and Depression, How to Be Healthy and Happy in the Digital Age. It's published by Aspire. Thank you so much for this and so many of the other resources that you have made available to help us live a healthy and happy life, whatever our concern might be. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you. You, you too. Bet. Bye-bye. Again, social media and depression, how to, have a, how to be healthy and happy in the digital age. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Also want to let you know that on Wednesday, Pastor Jeff Peabody will be my guest, perfectly suited, the armor of God, for the Anxious Mind. That's coming up on Wednesday. On Thursday, we'll hear from Pastor Alan Jackson, Big Trouble Ahead, a real plan for flourishing in a time of fear and deception. He's also going to be the speaker at the Pastor's Appreciation Breakfast coming up in November of this year. Anyway, that's coming up on Thursday's program.
Well, the U.S. government is secretly ferrying illegal immigrants across the country. The Biden administration has been engaged in flying thousands uh, detained at the southern border and uh, depositing them in various cities across the nation. In Jacksonville, Florida alone, the federal government has deposited more than 70 chartered jet loads of migrants. Often in the dead of night, a similar situation is playing out all over the country. And while the Democrat mayors in New York City and Washington, D.C. are busy blaming the influx of illegals in their cities on Texas Governor Abbott's busing program. His campaign is a mere drop in the bucket when compared to the president's migrant ferrying. As uh, Representative Dan Muser observed, he's a Republican out of Pennsylvania. Wilkes Bar and Scranton are now border cities as a direct result of the Biden administration's policies. An elderly woman has been banned from a wide MCA pool after complaining about a transgender man in the women's dressing room. The community pool run by the YMCA recently banned the 80 year old woman after she complained about a man in the women's dressing room who was watching females undress. The elderly woman also complained about the man showering. There were uh, gaps in the uh, curtain and there I was naked with soap and water on me and this guy right there very close to me. She explained, I asked, do you well? Have male parts. Uh, That's none of your business, he said. That's when I told him, get out of here right now. But rather than the YMCA manager removing the man from the women's locker room, it was the complaining woman who was told she was guilty of discriminating and that she can't use the pool any longer. Such is our brave new world where we champion women's rights. FBI Director Ray uh, bugged out on uh, of a uh, Senate hearing early for this uh, for his vacation. Most folks wouldn't relish the thought of sitting before an uh, often hostile group of lawmakers to give account under oath. However, when you head one of the most prominent agencies in the federal government, that is literally part of the job. So when FBI Director Christopher Ray left early from his testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee last Thursday, it communicated more about his leadership than it did anything he actually said. His reason for leaving early was not due to business obligations, as he implied, but so that he could uh, go spend the weekend vacationing at his summer home in the Adirondacks. Republicans had expected to get more time to question him and were um, none too happy when they were informed that Ray needed to leave early. We just heard a half hour uh, half hour ago about you having to leave at one thirty. A clearly irritated uh, senator said we were um, we were going to have seven minutes each for the first round. And then three minutes for the second round. Well, of course, they didn't get that luxury. And of course, he's in the uh, hot seat again after the raid on uh, former President Trump's home, Mar-a-Lago. The three men involved in chasing down, shooting and killing 25-year-old Ahmad Arbery as he ran through his, their neighborhood in early 2020 were sentenced in federal court today, or rather on Monday. All three had already been tried and found guilty of murder by the state of Georgia and had re- received life sentences without parole. The federal court also handed down life sentences to two of the defendants, father and son, Greg Mc, uh, McMichael and Travis McMichael, and a 35-year-old sentence to William Bryan, who had recorded the killing on his cell phone. Attorney General Merrick Garland stated the Justice Department's prosecution of this case and the court's sentences today make clear that hate crimes have no place in our country and that the department will be unrelenting in our efforts to hold accountable those who perpetrate them. Well, every Senate Democrat voted against defining pregnancy as unique to biological females, which, of course, it is. Indiana has become the first state in the nation to approve a near total abortion ban post Roe. And the president's Department of Justice is fighting religious health care providers over transgender care. 
The Pentagon has denied Mayor Muriel Bowser's request for the National Guard to assist in the humanitarian crisis, as she puts it, as migrants arrive in D.C. And the Republican National Committee has announced Milwaukee as the host city for the 2024 convention. DHS scrapped the president's uh, former president's remain in Mexico policy after a final court hurdle disappears. And scientists are suing the Biden administration over covid information um, censorship. The new Ukraine military package is the largest yet, according to the Pentagon. Russia suspended the start to arms inspections over the U.S. travel curbs and Chinese military fired missiles over Taiwan for the first time ever. A trans hormone dealer openly trafficked on TikTok and Gabby Petito's parents have announced a wrongful death lawsuit against the Moab police. The Inflation Reduction Act ought to be called the IRS Expansion Act. The Washington Examiner reports that Republicans have criticized the bill's $80 billion in extra IRS funding contending enhanced tax enforcement could disproportionately affect the middle class who do not have accountants and lawyers to deal with audits. Seriously, how out uh, out of touch do you have to be to brag about forcing a purely partisan bill through the Senate that raises taxes on the middle class, makes inflation worse, lowers after-tax income for Americans at every income level, decreases economic growth during a recession, and sends an army of IRS enforcers after grandma. An ABC News Ipsos poll indicates Americans trust Republicans over Democrats to fix the economy, but still want a pro-abortion leader. Americans have more trust in Republicans to tackle economic issues going into November's midterm elections. But a near majority of Americans said that they would be more likely to support a candidate who supports abortion access than one who doesn't, according to a new poll. The ABC News Ipsos poll found that by a nine point margin, Americans trust the GOP over Democrats to handle the economy, 34 percent to 25 percent, while 49 percent of respondents said that they would be more likely to vote for a candidate who favors uh, keeping abortion legal. Legal and available. Well, the FBI raided former President Donald Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago. The raiding of the home, the former president's resort home in Palm Beach, Florida. President Trump said Monday evening <clears throat> in a lengthy statement, Trump said his residence is currently under siege, raided and occupied by a large group of FBI agents. The raid was unannounced, Trump said. The raid came hours after Politico reported that attorney John Rowley, a former federal prosecutor, is now representing Trump in talks with the Department of Justice about executive privilege issues related to the department's investigation of the January 6th Capitol riot. On this day in history, 2014, Michael Brown Jr., an unarmed 18-year-old black man, is shot to death by police officer Darren Wilson following an altercation in Ferguson, Missouri. Brown's death leads to volatile protests in Ferguson and other U.S. cities spawning a national Black Lives Matter movement. 1854, Henry David Thoreau's uh, Walden, which describes Thoreau's uh, experience while living near Walden Pond in Massachusetts, is first published. 1910, the U.S. Patent Office grants Alva Fisher of the Hurley Machine Company a patent for an electronically powered washing machine. 1936, Jesse Owens wins his fourth gold medal at the Berlin Olympics as the United States takes first place in the 400-meter relay. 1944, more than 250 African-American sailors based at Port Chicago, California, refused to load a munitions ship following a cargo vessel explosion that kills 320 men, many of them black. Fifty of the sailors would be convicted of mutiny, fined and imprisoned. 1945, three days after the atomic bombing of Hiroshima, Japan, a U.S. B-29 superfortress codenamed Boxcar 
uh, drops a nuclear device, Fat Man, over Nagasaki, killing an estimated 74,000. 1974, Vice President Gerald Ford becomes the nation's 38th chief executive as President Richard Nixon's resignation takes effect. 1982, a federal judge in Washington orders John W. Hinckley, who'd been acquitted of shooting President Ronald Reagan and three others by reason of insanity, committed to a mental hospital. He has most recently been released. And finally, 2018, Vice President Mike Pence announces plans for a new separate U.S. Space Force as a sixth military service by 2020. Well, you've been listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Once again, coming up tomorrow, Pastor Jeff Peabody, perfectly suited the army, armor of God for the anxious mind. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Maupin for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.